Amen. I'm glad you, you made it here this morning. Hope the Lord has blessed you this week. And I'm glad you've come in to have a time of worship. Now, I read an interesting story this week about the famous Coach Bear Bryant. Now, for the younger ones here who don't know who that is, because believe it or not, that you know some people don't know who Bear Bryant is or was. He's passed on now. He was best known for the 25 years he spent as the head coach of the football team at the University of Alabama. 25 years there, six national championships, was a legend among football coaches. He also created um, around his team the idea that you don't want to cross him. I, I think that's, to put it lightly, everything I read about the, the man, uh, everything I've seen, that he was a pretty mean old guy. <laughs> you did not want to get on his bad side. Uh, in fact, his players knew that if you either disobeyed him or crossed him, that was probably the last football game you were ever going to play. He was not uh, a gentle personality, to put it lightly. The story I read was, goes like this. The uh, University of Alabama was playing a, an important football game against a, a rival, and there was two minutes left in the game. And Alabama was up by six points, and they had the ball. So Coach Bryant sends his star quarterback into the game with the instructions of, Take it easy, run out the clock, just running plays. Let's win the game. The quarterback goes in, gets in the huddle, and he says to the players, Coach wants us to play it safe, but that's what the other team is expecting. Let's go for it. And with that, he called a pass play. So the team lines up, and the quarterback gets the ball, and he goes back, and he, he chunks it downfield, and to his horror, it is intercepted by the other team. Not just that it's intercepted, but the guy who gets it on the other side of the ball is their fastest player. He's actually a track star. And this guy gets the ball and starts running for the end zone, going to win the game for the other team, and there's nobody in front of him. Well, at this moment, this quarterback who had disobeyed his coach and thrown the interception, and this guy was a guy not known for his speed, takes off and from behind catches up with that defensive player who had intercepted the ball and tackles him on the five-yard line and saves the game for the University of Alabama. When the game was over, the two coaches met, and the, the opposing coach said to, to Bear Bryant, he said, now what's all this business about your quarterback not being a runner? He ran down my fastest guy from behind. And Coach Bryant responded, he said, well, Coach... Your guy was running for six points. My guy was running for his life. <laughs> and he knew it. I like that story because it's a reminder of, right, maybe let me ask the question, what motivates you? And that story's pretty obvious. That boy was not going to get punished by his coach. That was a pretty strong motivator. He ran faster than he ever realized possible. What motivates you to do certain things? Now, if you're like me, there's no one motivator, okay? Multiple things motivate me in my life. My kids motivate me to do certain things. I mean, I know this weekend, you know, today, tomorrow, maybe next weekend, my boys are going to want me to take them to an animated movie. Do you think I want to go that on my own? No, but they, because they're my children, and I love them. I want to spend time with them. I'm motivated to go do that. My wife, she motivates me in a lot of ways, <laughs> You know, I, I promised her five years ago that for her 40th birthday and our 15th wedding anniversary, which both falls in this year, 
that we would go have a week, you know, vacation getaway, uh, which we're doing, and we leave two weeks from tomorrow, <laughs> praise the Lord, and you know, so every, uh, for the past five years, every time I put a few dollars aside, I was very motivated because I wasn't about to break that promise to my wife. You know, you might be motivated by the paycheck you get. You might be motivated by certain relationships. You might be motivated by consequences. If I don't do this, that's going to happen. That's a motivator. There's a lot of things that motivate us, but let me ask you this. Where does God your relationship with him come into play we could look at it like this what brought you here this morning did you come because it's sunday morning it's tradition you're supposed to get up just that's what motivated you were you motivated to come here because you wanted to be seen because somebody's going to think maybe not so highly of you if you're just skipping church i don't know i don't know what motivated you now i hope What I pray motivated you this morning is that you wanted to get up and come into the church, into the house of God, to encounter Him through worship and through the Word, be strengthened by the fellowship of the believers. You wanted to come to church, and the motivation was your walk with God. But I'd be a fool to say that I I know that's everybody's motivation. I know there's a lot of things that make us do what we do. But we need to be people who constantly, continually look at how is my walk with Christ, how is my relationship with with God through Jesus motivating me to do certain things. Now this morning as we continue on in our series through 1 Corinthians that we've been on pretty much the majority of this year, we're talking about this. In fact, the title of the sermon this morning is What Motivates You? What Motivates You? You. Let's put it up on the screen this morning so we can see our passage. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be looking at how to deal with some problems with the understanding, with asking the important question of what motivates me, what drives me in how I respond to this certain situation. What we're going to realize this morning is that if we learn if we learn to kind of use the important question of just analyzing What is motivating me? What is driving me in how I'm handling this issue in my faith, in my walk with Christ? It has a tremendous impact on our life, on the lives around us, our family, our church family. What motivates us is extremely important. Now, I'm going to give you a warning kind of before we get into the passage this morning. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 8, but as we read, in fact, almost as soon as we uh, start reading, you're going to go, what does this have to do with motivation? Because the passage is going to start out, and you're going to see that the majority of these verses deal with food. You're going, well, food does motivate me sometimes. But that's really not what it's... The, the point is, that it starts out saying, Paul is addressing a question of the, the Corinthian church, of these new believers, about an issue they're struggling with, about food sacrificed to idols. And that's how it starts. And he goes, what about this question of food sacrificed idols? And he kind of deals with it through these, you know, 13 verses of chapter 8. Food sacrificed idols. And you're going to read it. I'm telling you right now, the word motivation does not appear in the text this morning. And you're going to say, okay, that's odd. 
And we're going to read about some stuff that we're not really dealing with. It's kind of their culture, their time, and maybe a little bit of separation from you and me. But I promise you, if we kind of realize that what it seems to be talking about is not really what it's talking about, we're going to understand how motivation comes to play in our decisions of our walk with Christ. So just let's read through it together this morning. I want you to kind of get the first glimpse of the passage, see what it says, and then go back and understand the bigger picture of how this actually interacts with your my life today so let's look at the passage together first corinthians chapter eight says this now about food sacrificed to idols we know that we all possess knowledge but knowledge puffs up while love builds up those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. What we know that, what we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, uh, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things, have, things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple. Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When, you're, when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Now again, we see this passage that's it's talking about something, again, we don't really think about, we don't really deal with. Now, if you were here last week, it's, it's worth a reminder of something I mentioned last Sunday. If you weren't here, I'll give it to you again real briefly. Last week, I gave one of the most useful tools you can use. And when you come to, the, to God's Word, understanding a passage, especially when it's difficult, to ask yourself the question, is this passage descriptive or prescriptive? Meaning, is this a passage that describing what God said to a specific situation, a specific people at a specific time? that we can look at and we can study and we still get plenty from? Or is it prescriptive? It, is it meaning, is it a passage that when he spoke it to those people, it's still to be exactly the same word and exactly the same truth to us today? 
That's a really good, useful thing. Now, I'm going to tell you this morning, just so you understand it, that this passage we read, all these verses about the food, sacrificed idols, and all stuff, is a descriptive passage. It is Paul, is God speaking through Paul, to this church, to a specific issue they were dealing with. Now, how can I say that's a descriptive passage, that it's dealing with them at that time? Well, look at what the last thing Paul said. He said, well, if I need, in this situation, I'll never eat meat again. So does that mean, because Paul said that, and he was telling the, the church, that's, this is probably the best way to handle your situation, does that mean that when you leave here today, you know, you better not go eat meat, that we should all be vegetarians? You know what? If I go buy Whataburger today and get me a double meat Whataburger with extra bacon, I'm still okay. Now, I may need to talk to the Lord about gluttony issues, but I don't have a problem because I ate meat. So it's a passage dealing with their issue. The instruction to them is what they were dealing with in their context, their culture, their, their problem. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to mean Scripture saying it's not valuable, anything like that. There's still so much to learn from those things, but this specific instruction was being given for them. I mean, really, do we struggle with the issue of if we have meat sacrificed to idols? No, we don't. I mean, you're not going to go out to lunch today, and before you order, ask for the manager to come over and say, I'm sorry, but before I order this steak, I need a written guarantee that it has not been sacrificed to idols. I mean, we don't even think of those things, but they did. That was the struggle they faced in that day. We have other struggles that we, that we deal with, how to live out our faith uh, for God, but that was what they were dealing with, because in that time where they lived, Christians were such a minority, and everybody around them lived by the pagan and the false gods and the idols, and you couldn't find food unless it was grown in your backyard that hadn't at some point been dedicated to, sacrificed to some idol. I mean, in that day, when you went out of your house, you, I mean, the only other gathering places, for the most part, were these temples to these other idols. And anything you ate there, anything you bought off the market, because it came out of a pagan culture, had been sacrificed to a false god. And the believers then, they're, going, they're, you know, they're writing to Paul, how do we handle this issue? They're saying, all of our life is supposed to be given to Christ. We're supposed to be living for Him, but one of the issues we see is that we can't hardly eat without there being controversy. They're saying, here's this food, all the food around us, especially the meat, all this meat around us has been sacrificed, has been dedicated to a false God, and we're supposed to not be a part of those things. So what do we do? Do you see the struggle they're facing? I know that's not our specific issue, but that's what they were facing. And what's even worse, they were struggling with differences of opinions. It, it, we can kind of infer from what we read that Paul is saying that some in the church are saying, you know what, I have freedom in Christ. I've been saved, I've been redeemed, there's only one true God, there's only one Savior, and if they dedicate that meat to that false God, it doesn't matter because Christ covers all things in my life. I have absolute freedom to eat as I like. That's how some were dealing with it. And some were saying, no, 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 no. 
that's of the world, that's, you know, that's evil, that's, that's associating with things that are not of God. We can't go anywhere near that. And there was no consensus among the people of who is right and who is wrong. And what's even worse is that Paul's kind of let us know that these people were, there was a kind of division going on that what they think they know is puffing them up. Remember, this church is a church that's dealing with pride. This group saying, no, we're right because we can eat as we please. And that group saying, no, we're right because we're abstaining. Look how much holier we are than you. And there's division and there's split and there's hurt and there's all kind of stuff going on in the church. Now we're starting to get a little bit closer to some of the stuff we deal with today. Now, again, I know that none of you, uh, I hope that none of you, I, I don't think any of us this morning, are struggling with a conscience of where I get my hamburgers, the food that I eat. I, I've not, nobody's ever come to my office and said, Brother Greg, I'm just having such a crisis of conscience over the meat that I eat. I mean, it hadn't happened, it might one day. But I'm going to assume that nobody is dealing with that particular struggle this morning. But yet there are others. There are plenty of others because, let me tell you, friends, following Christ... Knowing what to do and what not to do is not always a black and white issue. There are some things I know God said, don't do that, right? We got some commandments out there. I know that is wrong. But there are a whole lot of other things. And as I'm going through my day and I'm trying to say, as I believe that church was, hey, how do I live my life for Christ in this issue? Whatever this issue is. And some people say, this is the way. And some people say, that's the way. How do we deal with it? Well, Paul's actually trying to tell us in this passage. Although he's dealing with an issue that they were facing. Here's the truth that you and I need to handle. When it comes to our walk with Christ, when it comes to these issues of us not knowing quite how to handle it, we shouldn't be so concerned about what we think is right. Our concern should be how it affects that brother or sister. Our heart should be for the other person. I know maybe, maybe we're having a hard time seeing how this really impacts you, but I promise you it does. In fact, friends, it's the reason why we see so many splits among churches today. Well, we got this denomination, that denomination, and that church won't talk to that church, and this Christian won't go with that Christian because I'm right on this particular issue, and that person is there right, and they'll talk to their blue in the face and fight and division. I promise you this causes problems. Let me tell you a story of how I kind of saw this come into play several years ago. Now, I'm going to bet that I am the youngest person here who knows at least um, knows about the game or at least knows how to play the game 42. Anybody younger than me says, I can play the game 42. Some are like, what is, the, what is 42? I'm just going to prove a point here. If you know how to play 42, raise your hand. Okay, I'm not being mean, but there's some gray hairs among that group. Okay, I'm, it's just what it is. Okay, it's a generational thing, all right? I'm not being, I love the game 42. 
It's a domino game if you didn't know it, okay? If you've never played the game 42, it's, it's a domino game. You have four people around, you get your dominoes, and they have different point values, and you, you bid on how many points you can get. It's a fun game. But it's really been lost in, in kind of the younger generations today. It hadn't carried through. The reason I know the game is because since I've worked in the church for years and years, I have been to more than my fair share of senior adult fellowships. Now, if you go to a senior adult fellowship time, there's going to be two things that are going to happen. There's going to be a potluck meal. You can guarantee it, man. And that's going to have some ambrosia on it. Somebody like somebody, well, ambrosia, what is going I'm, I'm, Some of them don't get it, okay, friends, all right? And there's going to be a game of 42 going on. I promise, there is, it just, it is. I've been to so many things that you go sit and have a meal, you have a prayer time, and then you have games. And you're going to play, actually you're going to play the 42. What's the other big one you're going to play? Chicken foot. Chicken foot. That's right. You go, chicken. Some of the youth are going, chicken foot. Y'all are crazy. I, those are the games. They're, it's another domino game. I have played more hands of 42 and chicken foot than I can recount. I have a fun time doing it. I mean, I love doing it. Several years ago, I wasn't pastoring here, but I, I was at a church. We had, you know, I was at senior adult fellowships pretty regular, and I played 42 constantly. One day I realized is at this particular fellowship, and again, this, these are all believers. We're usually at a church. Um, and I kind of said, I thought about this. I said, I've never seen at a senior adult fellowship that I've been a part of a game played that wasn't using dominoes. Never seen a card game played or play with dice or anything like that. I've just never seen it. And I just kind of didn't think about it. Then one day I was at, at a, again, senior adult fellowship, and we, were, we ate and we were about to play games. And we had a lady that came who was kind of her first time coming. And she was a lady that had not really grown up in the church, uh, didn't know some of the traditions. And she came to the senior adult fellowship and she brought a game with her. And she, you know, so we're all breaking out the dominoes to go play. And she has a deck of cards. And she says, and she set the table up, and I got this card game. And I wouldn't have guessed it. I, would, I mean, I was kind of blown away. Oh, nobody's, it, it got quiet. I'm serious, friends. This is, and nobody would play it. And she kind of got a look on her face and put the game up and joined a different game. And I later on, I went and asked a deacon of mine that I could, you know, kind of have pretty candid conversations with. I said, that was weird. I said, we play games all the time. Why did this one woman, she brought cards in, why, why was there that reaction? And he said to me, and I actually went back and looked at this and researched it, and true, that the generation that was playing those Donald games, that for a long time the issues of gambling were so pervasive and such a troublesome thing that any of the games that had a connotation of gambling, especially if dealt with cards, if dealt with dice, even into board games, because of the connotation of the culture, they would not play those in church. The dominoes was kind of the safe game. Maybe, I mean, whether you understand it or not, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that was the culture. That was the issue. We don't want to, you know, go anywhere near gambling. So we're going to do it like this. We're going to play, we're still going to play games, but it's going to be dominoes. That's kind of like the safe area. And I was kind of, wow, I'd never thought of it like that. I just thought we, everybody liked to play dominoes. And now, some of people didn't even realize that was an issue. But that's where it came out of. Hey, we've, you know, 
we don't know how to handle this issue before us of people gambling. And what do we say to this person who's struggling with this? Well, our response, the cultural response years ago was, well, if we play a game, it just can't have anything to do anywhere close to something that's considered gambling. I remember, seriously, I kid you not, the next month, that same lady who brought the card game brought a different game in, and this one was in trouble. She came in, it was a game that not only used cards, dice, as a board game, and you had poker chips as your place marks. She didn't know. I'm just saying, I think they excommunicated her from the church. No, they, they really didn't. I, she just didn't know. She wasn't being sinful. You know, she wasn't trying to drag people into gambling. She that just wasn't where she was. My point is this. When, we're, when we deal with these, should I or should I not? Can I? Do I have Christian freedom to do this or do I not? There's a right way to handle it and a wrong way to handle it. Let's use another example. Boy, I'm going to get myself into trouble. Deacons, if you get any letters, angry letters this week, just put them in the trash. I don't know. Uh, how about the issue of alcohol? Oh, alcohol just got mentioned in the Baptist church. Man, we are... I'm not going to go to dancing. I mean, that's just too far for us today, right? I mean, seriously. Today, there's this big... We, there, there's no way... There's not one Bible verse that says that any... Any alcohol at all is completely forbidden. It's, we are told don't get over to drunkenness, and we see all the things that can be negative about it and why you abstain, but we saw, you know, wine was used in many situations, and Paul said to Timothy, hey, if you need, you might need to use wine for your health benefits and other stuff, but we know where it doesn't go, where it goes too far. So there's some people who say, you know what, I have Christian freedom to do as long as I know, as far as I know by Scripture, if I'm not crossing into sin, I can do this much, whatever that person says. I'm not getting into debate of this particular matter is right and wrong. That's not what we're here to do today. I'm just saying a person says, I have the Christian freedom to do these things. And another person says, no, the best way I can be a Christian is to not do it at all. And one person says, I'm right. And another person says, I'm right. If we go back and apply to what Paul was dealing with in that situation, he says, he says, hey, guys, food, food isn't what makes you godly. Eating food doesn't bring you closer to God. Withholding from food doesn't bring you closer to God. That's not what it's about. When you allow knowledge, what you think you know, to puff you up and to say, well, I'm right on this particular stance, and that other person says, no, I'm right. And we're in the gray area of, well, what's the line of how we should be living with this particular issue, whatever it is, in Christ? If we deal with it wrongly, if we deal with it from a pride position, if we deal with it of, I'm holier than you because I do it like this. I have more Christian freedom because I do it like this. When we act like that, what happens? Division, pain, hurt. We hurt our family. We hurt our church. We hurt ourselves. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, says, here's how I want you to handle the situation. And while we're dealing with a descriptive passage over their issue with food sacrifice to idols, the, what comes to us still today is Paul's kind of, kind of hitting home with this point of, had you considered 
how it affects others. Now imagine when the church of Corinth got that letter and they're over there fighting over what's the right way to deal with food and meat. They go, oh, yeah, uh, yeah we, our heart really wasn't about is this best, what's best for that brother or sister? What's best for the church? We're thinking of our position, what we think is right, what we think is wrong, and our pride and our knowledge is how we're dealing with it. And Paul is saying, you know what? He's not saying, if you eat or you don't eat, you're holy. He goes, in this situation, I'm looking at what you're dealing with, and I'm seeing that brother or sister in Christ who's new in Christ, who's struggling with some things, and you know what? My position is, I'm going to decide what to do based on what is best for them and most edifying for the body of Christ. Because Paul knew something, something he's been trying to tell us through this letter, something God has been trying to get through to us, that your life, my life, our lives are not our own. When you give yourself up for Christ, you live for Him. So when we get into these areas, and friends, if you're following Christ, this should happen on a regular basis. If you're trying to go about your day and say, how should I handle this situation for Christ? Should I say something? Should I not say something? Should I partake or, or, or not? Should I, am I allowed to be involved in this situation or should I stay away from this situation? When we're trying to do what Christ would have us do, we're constantly going to come up with against kind of the gray areas. Not 100% sure if I should. Not 100% sure if I shouldn't. And to help you answer the question, instead of saying, here's what I think is right, here's what I think is wrong, the, the answer to the question needs to come from, how can I go about this? How can I answer this? How can I address this in such a way that is the most beneficial, the most blessing, and the most edifying to my family, my home family, my church family, those brothers and sisters in Christ, because my life is not my own. And sometimes, friends, yes, that means I'm going to abstain from certain things because, not because I don't have the Christian freedom to be able to do that, but I want to abstain because, you know what, I could be a bigger blessing and help to somebody else, and I don't want to be a stumbling block. Or I could just fall into legalism and say, I've got to really make sure I do every little... This is tough. I want to let you know it's hard. The point is the question we're asking, what motivates you in how you walk with Christ? When you say, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that, or I'm going to allow myself to participate in this or I'm not going to do that. Is it... Is what motivates you your knowledge of what you think is right or wrong? Is what motivates you your tradition of what says right or wrong? Is what motivates you what other people think of you when you do such a thing? Is your motivation how to bless somebody else and strengthen that person and help that person? You can take this home today, friends. Go home today. You know what? Most of you are going to have probably a fairly relaxing rest of your day. You don't, I don't know all your schedules, but a lot of times on Sundays, we get, we get the kind of the easier schedule, right? How about before you decide, what am I going to do today? You know, I could go home and say, I've got Christian freedom to, 
you know what? I want to rest. It's a day of rest. I'm going to go take a nap. I know that I'm right in doing so. But what if, in that simple thing, I stop and say, you know what? I've got a family, too. I've got these people right around me. What's the best thing I can do for them? Now, maybe the best thing I can do for my family, maybe for you, for me, I don't know. What, maybe the best thing is get some rest. Maybe that's what they need you to do. But maybe you could say, you know what? I'm going to give up something of myself. I'm going to give up my preference of what I think is right or think I want to do and say, how can my actions, how can my decisions best bless them? Take it to God. God, I want to do what's right by those around me, my family, my church, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And you have to admit to him, it's not always easy knowing what's the right thing to do. Because you may think it's right over here, but somebody else is going to tell you that's wrong. And you could fight about it, and you could divide the church, and you could do all these things that just make it worse. Or you could say, you know what? Let my response be not what I think is right. Not what I, I'm convinced, just my opinion, my view is the right way. Let my response be seen through. How can I bless others in how I handle this situation? You got Christian freedom to do a lot of things. Being in Christ does not mean that you, you have so few options of how to live your life. I mean, Christ gives you the freedom to, I mean, to live life. Yes, we, we are called to restrain and, and, and abstain from certain things. There are certain things that are sin, and God says, don't go there. But there's a lot of in-between of going, what is the best way to handle this situation? Whether I should do something, or just in my relationships, or my attitudes, how I spend my time and how I spend my money. You may think one way is right, another person may think it's wrong, but have you asked, how will this best bless the family, the church? How will this help that weaker brother or sister in Christ who's watching me? What if this thing that I, I think I've got Christian freedom to do, I know it's been a stumbling block for him or for her? And God said, I need to be watching out for that person. I go back to our original question, what motivates you? And there's a lot of motivating factors. But when you seek to follow Christ, and you come up with a lot of ways of, what should I do today? How should I handle this situation? To every little detail of your life, are you first going, here's what I know I should do? Or how is this best going to bless those around me? How could my time, my effort, my energy, my actions best be done to bless my brothers and my sisters in Christ, my, my husband, my wife, my kids and grandkids, and brothers and sisters. Paul was addressing a bunch of people who deal with a specific situation that I know we don't deal with today, but they were so wrapped up in I'm right and I'm right. This person versus that person. And Paul said, how about you stop for a second? How about you go look at that brother right over there who's struggling? Who doesn't know the things you know? 
And how about you look at this issue with how can you do this in such a way that will be encouraging to him? That will help him? I don't know exactly the, the attitude they, they were in when they received that letter. I imagine, and I think Scripture bears this out, because they began to make some changes in that church. That must have been a hard day to hear some of those comments. Because when you, when you really look at the situation, you realize, what I've been doing, I've been making it all about me. And they were forgetting their brother or sister. I don't want to leave you with just pointing out where we struggle. Just realizing that sometimes we don't know exactly how to handle one situation or another. I want you to go home today with the, with the attitude and commitment. I'm going to look at these issues. With how can I help someone? How can I bless someone? How can I give my life up and even the things that I do to help someone else, to be an encouragement to someone else, to bless someone else? That's going to be challenging. But living a life, and we talked about this at men's breakfast yesterday, living a life where you take up your cross daily, losing your life for Christ's sake is the only life worth living. There'll be one more blessed, more greatly enriched than anything you could do by just standing on your soapbox saying, but I'm right. I want you to leave here today saying, what motivates me in my Christian walk is, how can I build up the body of Christ? Let's take this before God right now. Let's have a before I, I want to pray for you in just a moment. And I want you right now to just begin to seek the Lord. Because before we pray and before we respond, I want you to say, am I doing this? I want you to seek God. In fact, right now I'm going to ask you, before I begin to pray, I want you to begin to go ahead and pray to God. I know I'm talking. I'm still up here. It's okay. I want your focus to shift. I want you up just focusing with God right now. Ask Him this morning to tell you, to show you some areas in your life where you have been standing your ground on something without considering how it's affecting another person. I want you to ask God to show you those ways, some things you can do in your life, the ways you can spend your time, your energy, your actions in a way that would bless somebody else. I want you to ask God to show you ways and places in your life that have been pride-filled. That you have taken your stance because this is it's what you think is absolutely right. And if somebody disagrees with you, they're absolutely wrong. I want you to ask, seriously, I want you to start coming, going to God right now, you and Him, and begin to show you those things. Be bold enough to say, God, show me something that I need to change. Show me something. Pray to Him right now. Show me something that I need to do differently. God, show me something that I need to get rid of or give up in my life. God, show me have or to start doing in my life. That will bless others. Pray that to Him. Ask that of Him right now. That's a, that's a bold place to be. Maybe even a scary place to be. Because God may change your perceptions. He might challenge your preconceived ideas. Maybe what you're doing is after the right thing. But have you asked, is this the best way to bless the body of Christ? 
If this morning, if you fall under any kind of conviction as you pray to God right now, if you fall under any kind of conviction that you need to change something that you're doing, change an attitude about it, change an approach to it, change a habit or a practice, if God has begun to reveal that to you, if you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, I need to change this certain issue in my life right now, then here in a moment after we pray and while we sing, I invite you come forward and just release it. You may need to just come to the front and have a time of prayer. You may want somebody, myself or another leader, to pray with you. We'll be happy to do it. But would you not walk out of this place under conviction? If you're under conviction, I want you to deal with it before you ever get up and leave. I want you to come and release it, commit unto God what He is showing you to do. We've got this time. Let's respond. And let's just seek, as we pray, to ask the question of ourselves and of God, what motivates me in my daily walk for Christ.